Once again, welcome to uh, Big Valley Grace. We've been going through the book of Ephesians together, but for the next uh, few weeks, we're, we're going to change it up a little bit. And then in January, we'll come back to Ephesians and finish it up by taking a few weeks and looking at the warfare of the believer, which is found in Ephesians chapter 6. And it'll be a great way to kick off the new year. But um, today, because it's the first weekend in December, only 19 or 18 days before Christmas. Now, the older I get, I'll tell you what's weird. It seems like it was just 18 days ago that we were doing a musical and having Christmas. And we're 18 days away from it being Christmas. And so what I want to do today is I want us to hear a small piece of the story of the birth of Jesus as told through um, the, the pen of Matthew. Okay, so listen to these words. It's, it's in your Bible. It'll be on the jumbotrons. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, as good as that was, <laughs> I want you to listen to it again, but this time, don't look at your Bibles. We're not going to put it up on the jumbotrons. I just want you to hear it through the voice of Max McLean. Do we have that? We, we, we don't have it? Okay. Well, maybe we can get it loaded up by, by, by the end. Now, I want you to know that, that I, I read um, the, the story at least 20 times this past week. At least 20 times. I probably read it a thousand times over my life, and every time I, I read it, I, I want you to know I, I was just captivated by it. I also listened to, to, to Max just read it. I put my, put my Bible down and didn't, didn't engage this piece of it. I, my, I just engaged my ears. And I just listened to these, these words. And every time I, I read it, it, it was just captivating to me. I mean, the idea that God became a man is, is something that, that just kind of makes you stop and think. I know for many of you, it's a, it's a hard concept to, to grasp. For many of you, you're here and, and you, you frankly don't believe it. 
you know what Christmas is about, and yeah, you got a tree in your house, and you've done all the stuff, and it's just about presents and trees and Hallmark cards. You really don't believe what it's really about, that the Holy Spirit came upon a virgin, and that child was God's son. It, I know some of you just don't believe it. You can't grasp it. And the reason why I know some of you can't believe it and you don't grasp it is because for a long time I didn't either. I haven't always been a preacher. There was a time in my life when, frankly, I thought it was all foolishness. I loved Christmas. I loved the trees and the holiday and the presents and all of that. But I, I didn't believe what the, the, the scriptures said. I mean, the idea that, that God invaded humanity was just a, a, something I, I couldn't get a hold of. But when you read this as a believer, that ought to make you, you know, stop whatever you're doing and, and just think. Or at least it should. Th th this is one of those profound moments in history. And I think it's so profound that our enemy has made sure that there's a, a lot of noise that goes on at a time like this, a season like this. That we just, we just get so busy doing all these holiday you know, festivities that, that we as believers don't just stop and ponder these unbelievable words. Something happens, you know, during this Advent season that really isn't good. My, my, my normal routine on Saturday night is our cafe doesn't open until later and I get here early and so I always stop at uh, uh, this coffee shop right over here and on my way, and I run in, I get my coffee. In fact, I've done this for so long, sometimes they even have it ready for me. And I pulled into the parking lot over there. I couldn't find a parking space. The whole place was jammed up. And as I was kind of making my way down some of the aisles, man, there was a guy laying on his horn, man. And he was all mad, you know, giving some guy coming out of a stall the one-way sign with a different finger. It was, and I was just going, wow, what has happened? This, this season just bombards us. And to have this unbelievable story just kind of goes by. It's a sentence or two in a Hallmark card, right? It's in a carol or two, and we sing it, and we just kind of move on. And this is, this is just some weighty, weighty stuff. This past week, as I read this passage, I, I prayed this prayer. God, based on this passage, what do you want me to share with your people this, this weekend? And I prayed it a number of times. God, just based on this passage, what do you, what do you want me to share? Your people are going to gather. And what is it, God, that you want me to share? And I didn't hear some audible voice or anything like that, but I do think that the Holy Spirit gave me one major thought, and I want to share it with you. It's not necessarily Christmassy, but 
but I think it'll be a blessing to you, and I know it was for me. So here's my, my one major thought as I read that passage over and over again. Christmas is a, a great time to focus on, on what's most important, and that's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. Exodus chapter 20 says this. It's the first of the great Ten Commandments. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. God said, you will have no other gods before me. And by the way, I think the order of the Ten Commandments isn't by accident. God intentionally put the first one first because it's the most important one. God says, I demand top priority in your life. I don't want to play second fiddle to anybody or anything. I want you to focus your life on pleasing me. There shouldn't be anything in your life that's more important than me. And when you think about it, he deserves to be number one in your life because he's the one that gave you your life. He created you. You wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for God. And not only did he create you, but when you get to this season, the Christmas season, it's a great reminder that he's also the one who came in the form of a baby to save you from your sins. Matthew said this in our text, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. He was the Messiah. He, he was the Messiah. This season's about the fact that the Messiah has come. The Savior has come. Matthew went on to say this in verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and that includes you. You see, the reason he deserves to be number one is he created you when you were inside your mother's womb, and he's the one who has come to save you from your sins. When you think about this, Jesus ought to be number one, shouldn't he? Don't you think? He should be the main focus of your life. And that was kind of the thought that kept running through my mind as I read the story and I prayed. It isn't just a neat little story we read to our children. It's the word of God. That's recorded history. It actually happened. The Messiah came. The Savior and in the midst of all the stuff that goes on, wow, easy to forget that. You see, the reality is, is that too many Christians, Jesus gets lost in the season. 
Christmas just becomes a time of shopping and spending and sending out cards and traveling and decorating and entertaining. And, and, and Jesus just kind of gets lost in it all. Oh, he's a part of it. I'm not saying he's, he's totally been kicked out of the, the door. That would never happen to you as a believer. But he does get lost in, in, in the shuffle. Now let me tell you why putting Jesus, you know, number one in your life is so important. It's important because if you mess this up, everything else in your life is going to topple over. It's the foundation for everything else in life. It's like building a house. The most important part of building a house is having the right foundation because if you mess up the foundation, the rest of the house is going to fall over, no matter how pretty the, 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 the structure is. Jesus isn't the focus of your life. You're, you're in trouble because that means that you've got the wrong foundation. One of the things that grieves me is that in America today, families are, are dropping like flies. Marriages are blowing apart. They're, they're falling faster than we can put them together as, as, a, as a church. Even Christian marriages. And the question is why? Why are so many Christian marriages crumbling? Well, it's not because they don't believe in God, because they do believe in God. They believe that God created them. They believe that they're sinners. They believe Jesus died on a cross for their sins. They believe that it's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that their sins are gonna be forgiven. They believe. Beloved, the reason why so many marriages are falling apart isn't because you know, they don't believe, it's because they built their marriages on the wrong foundation. They've built their personal lives on the wrong foundation. They're falling apart because Jesus isn't first in their individual lives. He's not the focus of their lives. Yes, God is a part of their lives. He's just not number one in their lives. Every married couple that we meet with, whether it's me or Pastor Rick or Pastor Scott or Pastor Gordon or whoever it might be, they both believe. They both believe in God and Jesus and the Bible, and they believe. The problem isn't that they don't, they don't believe. It's the problem is, is that they don't have Jesus as the foundation of their own personal lives. God isn't number one in their life. Belief alone isn't a guarantee that you'll have a great marriage or whatever. It's having God at the center of it, that he would be number one in your life and in your marriage and all of that. That's what guarantees a great marriage. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. Jesus said, seek First seek God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. Kind of the same thing, hey, hey, make, Jesus says make me number one in your life. Make, make me the priority, the first commandment if you will. And if you do that, wow, I'll blow your mind. I'll take care of everything else. I'll do that. But the, there's no guarantee that Jesus becomes number two or three or four or whatever it is that he'll fulfill his end of the bargain. 
He says it's when you put him first. When he is the, the, the focus of your life, your marriage or whatever. Now Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say you should not serve God and money. He didn't say that. He said you cannot serve God and money. In other words, Jesus is saying that it's impossible to do both. God's saying it's impossible to have two number one priorities in your life because whatever's number one means something else is gonna be number two, three, four, five, six, or whatever it is. You cannot have two number one priorities. You can't. You can deceive yourself into thinking you can, but you will have one thing that's your priority. One of them is going to be the priority. Now, there are a lot of things besides money that can push God out of first place in your life or get your focus all goofed up. Work can push God out of first place. Sports can push God out of first place. Hobbies can push God out of first place. Friendships can push God out of first place. Schoolwork can push God out of first place. Dating can push God out of first place. Working out can push God out of first place in your life. Even your own family can push God out of first place in your life. Now none of these things are, are evil in and of themselves, but they can be if they become the number one focus in your life. So the question is, what's gonna be first place in your life? What is it gonna be? Making money? Is that gonna be the thing? Building your career, raising your family. Is that, is that gonna be the number one thing? Is that gonna be the focus, raising your family? How about saving for retirement? Maintaining your good health, how about that? Raising your batting average, you know, on your Thursday night softball team. Maybe that's gonna be the focus. Lowering your handicap, continuing to date the man or the woman of your dreams. As I just said, none of these things are evil or crummy or wicked in and of themselves. God doesn't have a, a problem with, with any of them, except if one of them leapfrogs him on the priority list. Then, then God's got a problem. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me but he loves his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brothers or sisters, or even his own life more than me. Now, they're the priority. <laughs> you can't be one of my followers. And that makes sense, once again, when you think about the fact that he made us. He's the one who created us. He's the one who gave us our lives. He's the one that's keeping your heart beating right now. He loved you so much, he sent his son to die for your sins. It, it, it kind of just makes some sense 
that he doesn't want there to be anything more important to him, going back to the first commandment, don't have any other gods before me. You put me first. Hey, he wants you to love your mom and dad. He wants you to love your kids and all of that. Number five of the big 10 was honor your father and mother. He, he wants us to do that. He just doesn't want any of those things to take first place in our lives. Sometimes I hear Christian you know, parents, mothers especially, who will say, my children are my life. And I know what they're saying. But I sure hope Jesus is your life. That that's the foundation of your life. Jesus is it. That you focus on him. Because if you get that right, love for your kids and all that, that'll shake itself out. It's when something overtakes that, the spot of Jesus, where we can get ourselves into all kinds of, of trouble. Now let me share with you two things that tend to end up happening during this holiday season. And when they happen, they'll, 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 you just lose your focus, okay? And the first one is this, when you try to be the perfect host. When you try to be the perfect host, you'll lose your focus. Okay, write that down. Perfect host. I think it's in your notes. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a good host. Nothing wrong with that. It's when you try to be the perfect host. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Jesus came over. Isn't that great? That's cool. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Well, that makes sense. Jesus is at your house. Man, this is unbelievable. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? Listening to you, like, I mean, you know, like, what do you got to say? What could, you, what could you possibly be sharing that would be more important than getting the pot roast ready? <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these de details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Look, um, nothing wrong with having, you know, we're gonna have a number of people to our home this holiday season. Relatives, family members. I want them to come and have an enjoyable time. I wanna treat them the way I'd wanna be treated if I went to their home. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a good host. It's when you try to be the perfect host. Let me tell you what will happen. All of a sudden, the, the human beings that are in your home won't matter. The fellowship won't matter. Making sure that the, you know, the potatoes are cooked right, that, that will trump everything else. Making sure everything is just done perfectly will trump everything else. 
And when that becomes the focus, let me, let me tell you, 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 it'll just goof you up. Enjoy the people who come to your home. Enjoy the families who will come to your home. Enjoy the fact that Christ is in the midst of your home. You know, the Bible says if you know Christ as your Savior, he lives inside of you. So he's there at the party. You don't have to ask him to be at the party. He is there. He lives inside of you. Don't allow all the food and the, and the decorations and the, and the vacuuming and whatever all the stuff is to somehow get in the way of the fact that Jesus is there and enjoy that. Whenever I leave a home, I'd much rather say, wow, the fellowship was just really sweet than, man, weren't those, you know, wasn't that a great salad? Now, you can have a great salad and have a great fellowship. But I'd much rather get in the car and drive home and look at my wife and go, wow, wasn't that just, wasn't that just special? Wasn't that, wasn't that great? I'll tell you what I, well, I, 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 can't, I can't go to every party. I'm invited to a lot of parties. And I'm always honored that I'm invited to a lot of parties. Really, it's an honor to be invited to a party. But here's the deal. Um, when I get to this season, I have to be very careful about the, the rhythm, if you will, of my life. Because I want to enjoy this season. I don't want Jesus to get lost in it all. And so what my wife and I have to do is decide, okay, what... What parties are we going to go to, and then who are we going to disappoint? Because I would rather disappoint people than, than the Lord. And so we had two parties we were invited to this past week. And they were the two that we put on the calendar. And the first one was our staff party. And the husbands and wives, this room was all changed out with tables, and we just had a marvelous time. The elders of our church and their wives, it was really the wives, were the ones that put it on, and they served all the meals, and man, the food was, was fantastic, and, and pies, and, and just food, and man, it was great. And you walked in, and it was just, there was just a great feel to it, and fellowship, and people were hanging out, and there came this moment when our meal was done and it was in between the, 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 the meal and the dessert when we didn't know it. Somehow the elders had kept this a secret from us. All of a sudden, through these doors right here, poof, people came, poof, people came. I don't know how many, 50, 60, 70, I don't know how many it was. And they circled us and they sang carols to us. I don't know, it was eight minutes, maybe, maybe nine, I don't know, it wasn't a long time. But it was so holy. It, it, it was just this reverent time in the midst of fellowship, laughter, you know. And then, and then they just left. Merry Christmas. And they left. Wow. Then Friday night, our, our prime timers have their party, and we always come to that. Um, Charlene always invites my wife and I, and we sat right down here once again. It was just great. Fellowship was great. There was just, it was the fellowship. Was the food great? The food was great. All that was great. And then at some moment, the Herb family, Herb Henry family came up and sang just these great songs of the faith. 
I don't know, I sang for, I don't know, 20 minutes. It wasn't a long time. But it was just holy. It was reverend. And, and, and the fellowship was great. And there was laughter. And we got in the car. And it was just, there was something special about those kinds of things. It's one of the reasons why I choose a, well, I got to come to the one. It's a staff party. <laughs> Be weird if I didn't show up. My own, my own. It's like I'm throwing the party kind of a thing. But it's just special. And, and you know, here's the thing. It's not about, none of it was about trying to pull off perfection. It was about the fact that this is a season when we celebrate Jesus coming to planet Earth. But the second thing, and they kind of go hand in hand that'll really help you lose your focus when you try to please everyone this time of year. Paul said our purpose is to please God, not, not, not people. Christmas season can easily become a time when we try to please all the different people in our lives, our parents, our friends, you know, our step-parents, our, our in-laws, and the list goes on and on. And when this happens, the chances are great. You lose your focus. It's one of the reasons why my wife and I are very careful about what we do this season. I, I, can't, I can't make everybody happy. I just want to make him happy. Jesus didn't try to please everybody. He had one person he tried to please, and that was the Father. I only do what the Father wants me to do, and I only say what the Father wants me to say. And you get to a time like this when there's parties and all the stuff that's going on, and they're all fantastic. Sometimes you have to say, okay, what, what am I going to do? What is it, God, that you would have me to do? Where do you want me to go? What, what, what am I supposed to do, God? Help me, Lord, please. Because I don't want to get so boom, boom, boom. And just, and you finally get to the end of the year, and it's like, oh, man, thank the Lord I'm taking my tree down. I'm just, just tired of it all. And, and, and isn't that where we tend to get? Whew, this is over. The birth of Christ is over. Glad this is done. Proverbs chapter 29 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. One version says it's a dangerous trap to be concerned with what others think of you, but if you trust the Lord, you're safe. And let me give you just two quick reasons why it's a trap. Number one, when you're worried about what others think about you, it can easily cause you to miss God's will for your life. Let me tell you how that happens. It's really hard to stay focused on what God wants you to do while at the same time you're worried about what everybody else wants you to do. In other words, if you're always worried about pleasing your parents or pleasing your spouse or pleasing your kids or pleasing your friends or whoever it is, you don't have much time or juice or energy left over to try to figure out what pleases the Lord. And that's what ultimately matters. Hey, love your parents, love people, care about people. Obviously, God wants us to do all that stuff, okay? But when it comes to pleasing people, wow, you gotta be really careful. Because you can get to a point to where making you happy, pleasing you, burns all my juice and all my energy and you know what God thinks, well, that's kind of secondary. No. Pleasing the Lord it's always what matters. I love what Joshua said. He said, but if you don't want to serve the Lord, you must choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, 
You may serve the gods of your ancestors worshipped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River. Or you may serve the gods of the Amorites who live in this land. As for me and my family, you do what you want. You're free to do whatever you want. Worship whoever you want. Please whoever you want. You're free to do that. Me, Joshua says, my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. He's going to be the focus. And that doesn't mean he was going to be mean to people or he was going to be angry at people or he was going to you know, be disrespectful to people. It just meant, hey, he's going to trump everything else. That's who I want to please. And number two, when you're worried about what others think about you, it causes you to keep quiet about Jesus. You lose your witness. And how does that happen? Well, we see this principle all throughout the Bible. In John chapter 9, Jesus shows up and he heals a man who's been blind all of his life. And you'd think that everybody would be going crazy in celebration, right? Well, that's not what happened. You see, some religious leaders are around, and they go to this man's parents, the man who had just been healed, and they say, what do you think of this guy named Jesus? Who is this guy? And what do they do? Instead of saying, well, he's the guy that just healed my son. He's amazing. He must be God with skin on. No, 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 that's not what they said. It says this in verse 18 of chapter 9. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind and could now see, so they called his parents in. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? And his parents replied, well, we know this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. They knew. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that if anyone you know, said anything about the Messiah, that he would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. They were worried about what somebody else was going to think. They were worried about them. And so guess what it did? It silenced their witness. They wouldn't talk about Jesus. John chapter 7 says, but after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him amongst the crowd. Some argued, he's a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who, de who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. You see, when you're worried about what other people think, you're worried about what the boss thinks, you're worried about what your coworkers think, you're worried about what that, you know, the other three and your foursome think, you're worried about all that kind of stuff, you're worried, then guess what? Well, what if they don't like Jesus? You won't talk about him. And some of you are sitting in here, and you know what? You zipped your mouth shut about Jesus because you're so worried about what everybody thinks about you. So work, you don't talk about Jesus. They'll talk about all the sinful things they did over the weekend. Oh, they'll talk about all their sexual conquests that they've had. Have no problem throwing evil in your face but you're so worried that they won't like Jesus or you won't get invited to the right parties or whatever, you don't say anything. Interesting how when you're worried about being a people pleaser, how it just silences your witness. 
When you're worried about what others think about you, it, 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 it just does a lot of damage. Just worry about pleasing the Lord. That's all you need to worry about. Here's my point in all this. Christmas is a great time to focus on what's really important, and that's Jesus. Don't worry about trying to you know, be the perfect host this season. Just enjoy Jesus, okay? Don't worry about trying to please everybody. Just worry about pleasing Jesus. Now let me end by giving you one thing that, um, that'll help you keep your focus, and that is remember. Remember. Just a moment, we're gonna have communion, and communion is all about remembering. Beloved, it's important to take time, especially this time of year, and just stop and remember, engage your, your mind. Remember the birth of Christ. Remember the fact that God so loved you that he sent his son, that Jesus came here in the form of a human being. Remember that. Remember the, the, the life of Jesus. You know, he lived for a little over 33 years and it was a beautiful life. It was an unbelievable life. It was a perfect life and he lived it for you. Remember that, remember that life that he lived for you. Remember the fact that he died for you. Remember his death. Look, the Romans didn't put him on a cross. The, you know, the Jews didn't put him on a cross. He, he, he could have stopped that in a heartbeat. He voluntarily went to the cross. He died a horrible death for you. Remember that. Remember the resurrection of Jesus. They put him into a tomb, and three days later, he walked out of the grave. And of course he would walk out of the grave. Death couldn't hold God. When you die, that's it. I'm not going to worry about whether you pop up out of the coffin. You're dead. You'll always be dead. Done. Because you're human. Jesus walked out of that tomb. He took all your sin into that grave with him. And when he walked out, he left it all in there to give you a new life. Unbelievable. Remember the soon return of Jesus. I don't know when he's coming back, I just know he is. I don't know when. Remember that. Remember the, the teachings of Jesus. Acts chapter 20 says, you should remember the, the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I want you to focus on the first half of that. Remember the words of Jesus. I'll tell you what, this is all God's word, every bit of it. But there is something very special about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Because it's there that we really get to see the teachings of Jesus. Remember those. Remember the miracles of Jesus. He turned water into wine, he healed the sick, he cleansed the lepers, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, he calmed the sea, he walked on the water, he fed the, the multitudes. Let me tell you something, take about five minutes and just remember all of his miracles. I'll tell you what, you start doing that kind of stuff, you'll keep Jesus where he's supposed to be. Remember how Jesus treated people. 
Remember the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Remember when you first gave your life to Jesus. Some of you have walked with God so long, you don't even think about that moment. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 20, remember those days in the past when you first learned the truth. Think back to that moment when you recognized the sinfulness of your life and how doomed you were to hell. You couldn't save yourself, you're just doomed. You're a dead man walking. And yet Jesus came into your life. You learned that truth and you invited him in. Linger there for a while. That'll keep Jesus where he's supposed to be. It's good to remember because when you, when you take some time to remember, it'll keep you focused on what's important. You, what you fill your mind with matters. And this is a, a season where, man, let's, let's have fun and let's party and let's put trees up and lights up. I, I put lights up. I put my lights up yesterday. It's the one year where I get to one moment in the year when I get to act like a construction worker. I pull out a ladder. I got my, my you know, not nail gun, staple gun. Get my son out there. I say, man, let's put him up, son. Here we go. You know. Son, just back off. Back off! I got, I got this. So we got around the whole thing, and you know, I'm feeling like a man. I'm feeling, you know, this is, this is what men do. We put stuff into wood, okay, that's what we do. Well, we got around to the, towards the end, and he ran in for a second, and I put the thing up there, and boom. Well, I didn't get it right in the middle, and so my little staple shot right into the green cable. So I cut the line, so I went, and I went, oh, it all went out. <laughs> it all done. Shot the thing into the, the thing. <sighs> I fixed it. <laughs> Just want you all to know. Thank you. <laughs> Here's the deal. Hey, look, enjoy it all. Send out your cards and all the stuff. Buy your presents. Have the kids over, the grandkids. Do it all. Nothing wrong with any of it. But remember, remember, remember Jesus. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, remember the Lord in all you do. And it's only appropriate that uh, we're going to end our gathering right now over in the venue by holding the two great um, elements of our faith, the bread and the cup. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to pass it. You're going to walk around over in the venue, I think. And I just want you to hang on to it over here. Hang on to it here. And we're going to end our time just remembering something really, really powerful before we walk out. And so, host, hostesses, you come. Let, let me pray. And um, just hang on to it, okay? Father, thanks for this time that we've had to be together. And God, I would just ask, God, that we would have a great time to sing this song remembering you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen.